manufacturing, technology, hot topics, and a little bit of tomfoolery. This is the MTD Podcast. Hello and welcome to today's MTD Podcast. I believe this is uh, Series 2, Episode 5. Um, today I'm at Scott Bennett Engineering in Northampton. I'm with uh, Rob Bennett, who's the Managing Director of the company. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one today, something that we're going to be doing more of in the near future, uh, visiting manufacturers, subcontractors, talking to them about um, the good things about running their company and also the bad things, uh, putting some challenging questions across and finding out a little bit of the, the history behind some of these businesses and what makes uh, the individuals within them tick. Uh, so welcome to the show today, Rob. How are you? Hello, Paul. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, so we're here on this uh, wet and windy day in Northampton. The machines are, are whirring away outside. Uh, so I'm assuming that means that um, you've got plenty of staff out there that are keeping the, keeping those spindles turning. Well, they're, uh, they're working away, so it's, uh, it's good at the moment and we've got plenty of work, so... Uh all good. And, and tell us, let's start with the history of your business for those that don't know uh, Scott Bennett Engineering and yourself as well, because you've got quite a, a good backstory. Well, I'll, I'll start with my father. My father took the biggest gamble of his life in starting the business in 1975. But I'll give you a little background to his, his history. He, he spent 22 years in the army in the Remi and he got an engineering background from there. But when he left the army, he decided to go selling. He felt selling was his forte. And he got a job for a company called Kalamazoo, who used to sell uh, business filing systems for various companies. And he ended up going into a company in Northampton. It was an engineering company, Auto Turn Products, who've been going for quite a while. Know them. And he, he went in there to try and sell them a filing system. It's American-based Kalamazoo filing system. The managing director at the time wasn't interested in the filing system, but he liked the way my father tried to sell. So he offered him a job there and then. So my father went to work for Auto Turn Products and he had five very good years there. They then decided to go their separate ways. And one of the agreements was that um, Tom would start up a little business on his own, which is how he started. He, he grabbed a very small unit, an old Ward 2A capstan that uh, used to be the bedrock of many a manufacturing What year place. would this have been? This was, he started ATP around about 1970 and he left them in 75. So he started up on his own with a pillar drill and a Ward 2A capstan and um, started selling engineering capacity. So that was now what, 40, well I can tell you it was 44 years ago because that's the same age as me. So, uh, wow. <laughs> Time I goes. I, I know I don't look it, Rob, but... Um, no, you don't. And, uh, and, and then what about yourself? So where do you fit into it? So I, um, I didn't really have a great interest in engineering as a youngster growing up. Who does? But suddenly, as I got to 14, 15-year-old, he offered me a part-time job at school holidays and on Saturdays, and the cash was always very helpful when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, trying to do things, trying to buy trainers or jeans or... Records, as it was in those days. Filing systems. All that, yeah, no. <laughs> and um, so, I, so I started to, to work school holidays and weekends for him, doing deburring, teeth bipping, running an old Adcock mill, that sort of thing. So I got interested into the business then, um, but I didn't have an engineering skill or a background, so I decided to do something a little bit different. I... Um, I was sat there one day watching BBC and on came an old programme, you might remember it, you might not. It was called Sailing and it was part of the Rod Stewart song, it was about the yeah. Navy. And I thought, that's the job for me. They look like they're having fun. Of course, they showed the best side of it, not the worst side. But I decided to join the Navy as an engineer 
and that's where I, I did my training in engineering. I got a five-year apprenticeship uh, in the Navy, and that's where I started my career in engineering. So where did you travel to? Not many places, because I ended up on uh, nuclear submarines, and we tended to spend most of our time underwater. So I had 15 years on, on submarines. I had a few trips to America, mainly Europe, but a lot of the time was spent in the Arctic Ocean, patrolling around on simulated war patrols, they would call them. And, and how was it like living in one of those confined spaces? That to me is like, it seems like my worst nightmare being in one of those, uh, uh, certainly the sleeping environment for what I've seen, that must be really tough. Many people say that exact question. Everybody says, how do you cope living underwater? But there's a, there's a selection process that you, if you have problems with that, you wouldn't get selected. So they go through various scenarios, put you under pressure, put you in a confined environment to try and get you used to doing it before you go away. Was it a good fun? Oh, it was great fun. It was, the, it was the best time of my life, learning about A, engineering and exploring and doing a job that not many people do. But to go away, it, it is tough on your family. It's not so much tough on the people going away, but the people away are in no communication with you. They wouldn't hear a thing for two to three months. And then suddenly you come back, back into normal life. And the people back home are the ones who will feel it more than you when you go away to sea. But it, it was a great time. It was a great life. And um, I'll never regret it. And so then you came back into the business then, did you, once you'd come out of, uh, once you'd served that apprenticeship? One of, the, one of the downsides of the, the Cold War ending and the Berlin Wall coming down, there is a link here. In 89-90, the government saw a way of cutting defence, defence spending. So what they did was they instigated a redundancy programme and they were offering redundancy to various categories. I fell into that in 93. I spoke with my dad about coming out and maybe coming in to help him. At the time, he was, he was going through a really bad time with the, the early 90s um, recession that had hit the UK. And uh, he needed a bit of technical help, which I thought I could offer him. So we made a little pact and uh, he said, come join me, but uh, the money's not there. You'll have to earn your own money. So I made the, uh, quite a big gamble for me. I dragged my family, two young sons away from Cornwall up to Northampton, which isn't quite Cornwall. And um, I came into the business in 1994. And so, so now we look at the company, Robert. If I look at a lot of engineering companies locally, you are very well established, as, as we've already um, found out. You're a, a production shop in a lot of senses. Can you maybe tell our audience what your strengths are as a business here at Scott Bennett? Oh, that's a good one. I think from our point of view, we're very, very flexible. We're, we're small enough to to jump to people's demands very quickly. We're not set, set in our ways and we have great flexibility with our staff. They can leap on either a mill or a sliding head or a fixed head CNC and we can produce parts quickly, accurately, and get them to our customer and we can respond pretty good speed. And I think that's what sells us. Okay, now I, I wanna get into some really interesting stuff now and, and uh, things that will be relevant to our listeners um, and stuff that relates to many, many engineers out there. Uh, firstly, as a company, what do you think the best investment you've ever made is here? Many years ago, we used to run um, what, what are called cam autos, which is basically a cam-driven machine, very fast, um, and could run all day, but it, it needed a certain skilled engineer to run it. We had six of those, and um, for whatever reason, the guy that was running was in his mid-60s, decided to knock it on the head, he'd had enough. And he, and he just said to me, I, I don't want to do it anymore. And it, it left me with a dilemma, what, which way do we go now? And 
I'd always remember I had a, a CNC salesman, a CNC slide and head salesman, kept knocking on the door saying that I can replace those, one of those machines would do three of your cam autos. So when, uh, when the engineer decided to leave here, I put him to the test and it's very true, what he did, he supplied a slide and head and it did replace three of them and we became very profitable after that. Uh, did, did you and your father ever have any conflicts as to whether you should or shouldn't invest in that sort of technology? No, my dad was always good at that. We, we always felt we would always try and get the best thing for us and we'd try and get the, the best equipment we could afford as a company. Uh, and he, he taught me you've got to keep investing in the business. And how did it change things then? Was it just the fact that you didn't need to man them maybe so often or was it the speed of the production? Uh, was it the lights out factor? You know, what was different? That was, that was a, a major achievement was running a machine lights out and I always remember the first time we did it we both walked out the factory, but we couldn't walk away with the door shut for about 15, 20 minutes as we were listening to it going. But the first time you do it, and then you're confident that it will run, getting lights out of production, two, three, four hours, depending if the material and the job lends to it, it, it's certainly a great advantage to run your machines at night. Okay, next question. What's changed in engineering since, let's take 1994, 95 is when you joined the business to, uh, yeah, today? automation productivity the fact that uh, in in the early 90s we employed 17 people now we employ 10 people and we're getting far more production parts through the through the factory and out the door to the customer we can produce a lot more efficiently and a lot faster and more accurately what about competitiveness has that changed um, there was a period in the in the noughties where a lot of offshore sourcing was going on with parts were being sent to emerging economies in Asia etc which did hit us quite hard but we've adapted that those those countries not interested in 500 or 1000 off batches if you can produce that in a, in a few days or a week or two you will find those customers in the UK that need that ability to supply and do you still think that it's a, an argument to suggest that the higher volumes are still over in those markets as opposed to here or are they coming back? Some of them are coming back that I've heard, but I think the, the less complex parts, a space or a washer, if you need 50,000 or 100,000 those, I don't think the UK will ever see those again. They may, but I don't think so. But that's not the work that we want to be in. We want to have value-added components that are, are complex, that, that can be supplied, and a decent price can be had by all. And what are the biggest challenges then to you running a company these days? When you wake up in the morning, what, what, what's the headaches that you, uh, that you suffer or even when you go to bed at night? What, what, what's, what worries you? What worries me is will UK manufacturing continue? Nobody knows the future. We hope there's, a, you know, at the moment the UK manufacturing subcontract sector is buoyant, but there is signs of a slowdown with the uncertainty of Brexit at the moment. Many in my position just want to see it done one way or another. So to take out the uncertainty of that. Um, but the challenges are always the same. What do I invest in next? Where do I get my next order from? And you, you've just got to be proactive. And your order book, talking about orders, how, how long, how far ahead are our orders? Has that changed over the years? You know, now can you only look a month ahead as opposed to a decade ago it was six months or is it vice versa? Yeah, huge changes to that. When I started back here in the early 90s, it was, there was a thing called three months firm, three months tentative, and you, you almost had a six-month order book. Now we, four to six weeks is all we get. And, and you want someone to go and spend £100,000, £150,000 on a machine and they've only got a four to six week order book. 
that's a gamble, but it's a gamble that's worth taking. What about the skills? What about people? Skills are hard, very hard to recruit. Um, we've made a, a conscious effort to keep the staff we've got and to train them whenever we can and to pay them what they're worth uh, and to keep people here. Unfortunately, we have an aging workforce. They're very loyal, been here many years, and I know that we're all growing old together. We have gone down the apprentice route. We've taken five on. One has been successful. We have another one going through at the moment. But some, some young members of, uh, of society, you know, they try it, but it's just not for them. And yet, when you look at engineering, you look at how it's become more computer-based, more thinking with your head rather than shaping with your hands, it, it is, it's a great future for them if they want to get into it. Uh, what about the commercial aspect as well, Rob? Things like running a business like yours, cash flow, getting paid by your customers, you know, keeping staff, ha making sure they're paid. Are, th are those challenges that you still face, even though the company's long established? Yeah, they'll always be there. You've always got to. Sometimes, most customers, I would say, 80% uh, 80, 80 of our customers are excellent. There's always the few that want to string it out and don't want to pay. And you have to manage that. And one way we do that is we do try to put money aside for those rainy days. But sometimes people will want to take as long as they can. But, you know, you have to deal with that. You do. Uh, trickiest job you've ever done. One of those ones you'll never forget. You'll go, oh, God, we lost, we, we, we lost a load on that. Or it was not as easy as we thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, well, I think most it's people... probably a long list, is it? Well, there is. But most people in engineering will know the, the hazards of dealing with something like super duplex and... The tooling bill when we tried to get quite a tricky threaded job milled and, and various small holes in it, it was for us. We tried, but we failed. But, you know, you can't win them all. And, and have you ever made, uh, well, have you had many jobs where you've made losses as a result of trying to take uh, calculated gambles that have not worked out in your favour? Oh, yes. Everybody does that. It's, um, you know, you live and learn, but uh, the next time you get it right. Uh, the machine, machinery that you have here, the inventory that you have, or the plant that you have here, you've got your Nakamura machines, your star sliding headlays, which you've mentioned, Haas machining centres. Um, is is the, the policy here to stick with specific brands, or do you go for whatever is the right machine at the right time? Yeah, it's a really good question, because we, when we look at uh, what we're going to buy, if it's new, we look, to look at the longevity of the, the supplier, the machine tool supplier, how stable are they, can they keep supplying... And we would then try and stick with a known brand because tooling, collets, fixturing, work holding, training, staff, all those things come into play. And once you've got that machine, once you've got one, you'll get two, you'll get three. It makes it so much more cost effective to stick with that brand. And, and what about the learning aspect for you going forward in the future? You talk about an ageing workforce where most, I'd say most engineering companies are suffering the same um, pain if it, if it can be classed as that. If you can't get the new blood through, which we're working hard to do at MTD as well, to pr promote the fact that this industry is, is, is fun, it's good, it's, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of technology, like you say, the computer-based, all of that element of stuff is something that, that youngsters should be, should be involved in. Um, for you going forward, where do you see the next few years in the company? Um, like, like many have commented before, and particularly in your... In your um um, your videos that you put out it's starting the school leavers that want to get into engineering yes it can be dirty at times but you're making stuff you're dealing with metals you're you're cutting stuff there will be swarf there will be some areas where it gets dirt on the floor that's natural but to see past that look at uh, programming look at 
um, CAD CAM, look at um, software like SOLIDWORKS where you can, you can develop components and products from, from a computer screen to see it come off a milling, milling machine as one piece. I think that should be very rewarding. And the skill levels, I, I, often, I often use this that when, when the great crash of 2008 happened, we, we lost a lot of orders, 30% overnight. It was a real tough time. We had to let two people go. It was difficult. We didn't know we'd survive. We did. And I look at the way banking caused so many problems in manufacturing. I often quote, you get a block of steel for a pound, you make something, you sell it for 20 pounds. It's real money, real money generated to pay wages, to pay for the buildings, to buy a new machine, to pay your bills. That's real money. Uh, Rob, it's been a pleasure to have. I've got two more questions for you. What's the best thing about running your company? I'm never bored. I like coming into work. Um, and it's, it's a challenge. Every day is a challenge. It's great. And the worst? Uh, it's lonely sometimes when you're at the, in the managing director's chair. Sometimes you don't know where to turn to and it can be a, a lonely seat at times. That's good stuff. Well, thank you very much for accommodating us today, uh, Rob. It's been a pleasure being here and it's great to see such a, a successful company and hear such a great story. Thank no you problem. Thanks very much, Paul. Thank, thank you. you.